Part Two, Chapter Twenty Four of Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Spiegel. When Vronsky looked at his watch on the Karenins' terrace, he was so stirred and preoccupied that, though he saw the figures on the face, he did not know what time it was. He hurried along the driveway and, picking his way carefully through the mud, he reached his carriage. He had been so absorbed by his conversation with Anna that he did not notice the hour or ask if he still had time to go to Bryansky's. As it often happens, he had only the external faculty of memory, and it recalled to him only that he had decided to do something. He found his coachman dozing on his box under the already slanting shade of the linden. He noticed the swarms of midgets buzzing around his sweaty horses. Then, waking the coachman. He jumped into his carriage and ordered him to drive to Bryansky's. Only after he had gone six or seven versts did he remember that he had looked at his watch and realized that it was half past five and that he was late. On that day there were to be several races: first the draught horses, then the officers' two-verst dash, then a second of four, and last that in which he was to take part. He could be in time for his race, but. If he went to Bryansky's, he ran the risk of getting to the grounds after the court had arrived. That was not in good form, but he had promised Bryansky to be there. Therefore, he kept on, commanding the coachman not to spare the trioka. He reached Bryansky's, spent five minutes with him, and was off again at full speed. The rapid motion calmed him. All the difficulties that had confronted him in his relations with Anna, all the uncertainty that remained after their conversation. Vanished from his mind, he thought with delight and excitement of the race and how he might, after all, get there in time. And then again, he vividly imagined the brilliant society which would gather today at the course. And he got more and more into the atmosphere of the races as he overtook people coming in their carriages from various villas and even from Petersburg on their way to the hippodrome. When he reached his quarters, no one was at home. All had gone to the races except his valet, who was waiting for him at the entrance. While he was changing his clothes, his valet told him that the second race had already begun, that a number of gentlemen had been to inquire for him. Vronsky dressed without haste, for he never was hurried and he never lost his self-command, and directed the coachman to take him to the stables. From there, he saw a sea of carriages of all sorts, of pedestrians, soldiers, and spectators. Surrounding the hippodrome and the seats boiling with people, evidently the second course had been run. For just as he reached the stables, he heard the sound of a bell. As he reached the stable, he noticed Makotin's white-footed chestnut gladiator, covered with a blue and orange caparison and with huge ear protectors trimmed with blue. They were leading him out to the hippodrome. Where is Cord? He asked of the groom. In the stable. He is putting on the saddle. Frau Frau was all saddled in her open box stall. They started to lead her out. I am not late, am I? All right, all right," said the Englishman. "Don't get excited." Vronsky once more gave a quick glance at the excellent, favorable shape of his horse, as she stood trembling in every limb, and finding it hard to tear himself away from such a beautiful sight, he left her at the stable. He approached the benches. At a most favorable moment for doing this without attracting observation, the two-verst dash was just at an end, and all eyes were fixed on a cavalry guardsman who was in the lead, and a hussar just at his heels, 
whipping their horses furiously and approaching the goal. From the center and both ends all crowded in toward the goal, and a group of officers and guardsmen were hailing with shouts the triumph of their fellow officer and friend. Vronsky, without being noticed, joined the throng just as the bell announced the end of the race. The victor, a tall cavalry guardsman, covered with mud, dropped the reins, slipped off from the saddle, and stood by his roan stallion, which was black with sweat and heavily breathing. The stallion, with a violent effort thrusting out his legs, had stopped the swift course of his big body, and the officer, like a man awakening from a deep sleep, was looking about him, trying hard to smile. A throng of friends and strangers pressed about him. Vronsky, with intention, avoided the elegant people who were circulating about, engaged in gay and animated conversation in front of the seats. He had already caught sight of Anna, Betsy, and his brother's wife, but he did not join them so that he might not be disconcerted. But he kept meeting acquaintances who stopped him, or told him various items about the last race, or asked him why he was late. While they were distributing the prizes at the pavilion, and everyone had gone in this direction, Vronsky was joined by his elder brother. Alexander Vronsky was a colonel and wore pullets, and, like Alexey, was a man of medium stature and rather thick-set, but he was handsomer and ruddier. His nose was red, and his frank, open face was flushed with wine. "'Did you get my note?' he asked of his brother. "'You are never to be found.' Alexander Vronsky, in spite of his life of dissipation and his love for drink, which was notorious, was a thoroughly courtly man. Knowing that many eyes might be fixed on them, he preserved, while he talked on a very painful subject, a smiling face, as if he were jesting with his brother about some trifling matter. "'I got it,' said he, "'but I really don't understand why you interfere.' "'I interfere because I noticed you were not to be found this morning, and because you were seen at Peterhof Monday.' "'There are matters which cannot be judged except by those who are directly interested.' and the matter in which you concern yourself is such. Yes, but when one is not in the service, he... I beg you to mind your own business, and that is all. Alexey Vronsky's frowning face grew pale, and his rather prominent lower jaw shook. This happened rarely with him. He was a man of kindly heart, and rarely got angry. But when he grew angry, and when his chin trembled, he became dangerous. Alexander Vronsky knew it, and with a gay laugh replied, I only wanted to give you Matushka's letter. Answer it, and don't get angry before the race. Bon chance, he added with a smile, and left him. The next moment another friendly greeting surprised Vronsky. Won't you recognize your friends? How are you, mon cher? said Stefan Arkadyevitch, with his rosy face and carefully combed and promoted whiskers. In the midst of the brilliant society of Petersburg, he was no less brilliant than at Moscow. I came down yesterday, and am very glad to be present at your triumph. When can we meet? Come to the mess after the race is over, said Vronsky, and with an apology for leaving him, he squeezed the sleeve of his pelotot and went to the middle of the hippodrome where they were bringing the horses for the handicap race. The grooms were leading back the sweaty horses, wearied by the race which they had run, and one by one the fresh horses entered for the next course appeared on the ground. They were, for the most part, English horses, in hoods, and well-comparisoned, and looked like enormous strange birds. At the right-hand side they were leading in the lean beauty, Frau Frau, which came out 
stepping high as if on springs, with her elastic and slender pasterns. And not far from her they were removing the trappings from the lop-eared gladiator. The stallion's solid, superb, and perfectly symmetrical form, with his splendid crupper and his extraordinarily short pasterns placed directly over the hooves, attracted Vronsky's admiration. He was just going up to Frau Frau when another acquaintance stopped him again. "'Ah, there is Karinin,' said the friend with whom he was talking. "'He's hunting for his wife. She is in the very centre of the pavilion. Have you seen her?' "'No, I have not,' replied Vronsky, and without turning his head in the direction where his acquaintance told him that Madame Karinin was, he went to his horse. He had scarcely time to make some adjustment of the saddle when those who were to compete in the hurdle-race were called to receive their numbers and directions. With serious, stern, and some with pale faces, seventeen men in all approached the stand and received their numbers. Vronsky's number was seven. "'Mount!' was the cry. Vronsky, feeling that he, with his companions, was the focus toward which all the eyes were turned, went up to his horse, with the slow, deliberate motions which were usual to him when he was under the strain of excitement. Cord, in honor of the races, had put on his gala-day costume. He wore a black coat, buttoned to the chin, and a stiffly starched shirt-collar, which made a support for his cheeks. He had on hessian boots and a round black cap. He was, as always, calm and full of importance, as he stood by the mare's head, holding both reins in his hand. Frau Frau was still shivering as if she had an attack of the fever. Her fiery eyes gazed askance at Vronsky as he approached. He passed his finger under the girth of the saddle. The mare looked at him still more askance, showed her teeth, and pricked up her ears. The Englishman puckered up his lips with a grin at the idea that there could be any doubt as to his skill in putting on a saddle. "'Mount, and you won't be so nervous,' said he. Vronsky cast a final glance on his rivals. He knew that he should not see them again until the race was over. Two of them had already gone through to the starting point. Galston, a friend of his, and one of his dangerous rivals, was turning around and around his bay stallion, which was trying to keep him from mounting. A little leap hussar, in tight cavalry trousers, was off at a gallop, bent double over his horse, like a cat on the crupper, in imitation of the English fashion. Prince Kuzovlev, white as a sheet, was mounted on a thoroughbred mare, from the Grabovsky stud. An Englishman held it by the bridle. Vronsky and all his comrades knew Kuzovlev's terrible self-conceit, and his peculiarity of weak nerves. They knew that he was timid at everything, especially timid of riding horseback, but now, notwithstanding the fact that all this was horrible to him, because he knew that people broke their necks, and that at every hurdle stood a surgeon, an ambulance with its cross and sister of charity, still he made up his mind to ride. They exchanged glances, and Vronsky gave him an encouraging and approving nod. One only now he failed to see. The most redoubtable rival, McCoyton, on Gladiator, was not there. "'Don't be in haste,' said Cord to Vronsky. "'And remember one thing. When you come to a hurdle, don't pull back or spur on your horse.' Let her take it her own way. Very good, replied Vronsky, taking the reins. If possible, take the lead. But don't be discouraged, even to the last, if you are behind. The horse did not have time to stir before Vronsky, with supple and powerful movement, put his foot on the notched steel stirrup, and gracefully, 
firmly took his seat in the squeaking leather saddle. Having put his right foot in the stirrup with his customary care, he then arranged the double reins between his fingers, and Cord let go the animal's head. Frau Frau, as if not knowing which foot to put down first, stretched out her neck and pulled on the reins, and she started off as if on springs, balancing her rider on her supple back. Cord, quickening his pace, followed them. The mare, excited, jumped to the right and left, trying to take her master off his guard, and pulled at the reins, and Vronsky vainly endeavored to calm her with his voice and with his hand. They were approaching the diked bank of the river, where the starting post was placed. Some of the riders had gone on ahead, others were riding behind, when Vronsky suddenly heard on the muddy track the gallop of a horse, and Makotin dashed by on his white-footed, lop-eared gladiator. Makotin smiled, showing his long teeth, but Vronsky looked at him angrily. He did not like Makotin any too well, and now he regarded him as his most dangerous rival, and he was exasperated at the way he galloped up behind him, exciting his mare. Frau Frau kicked up her heels and started off at a gallop, made two bounds, and then, angry at the restraint of the curb, changed her gait into a trot, which shook up her rider. Cord was also disgusted, and ran almost as fast as Vronsky. End of chapter 24